Hope. Hope in the Webster's means to want something to happen or be true and think that it could happen or be be true. Yes, I'm releasing my book. It's called The Reason to Live. My hand hurts from signing all those copies. (laughs) Really looking forward to the second service, signing more copies. Amen. (laughs) But uh, no, it's it's exciting for me. Uh, It's also melancholy because when you write a book, you dredge up some of the stuff that's happened in your life. And uh, I wrote this book so people could have hope because I know even the little, littlest bit of hope could take you from death to life. Um, I remember the year was 1986. <laughs> I was in my apartment in Staten Island, Heartland Village. I hadn't slept for three or four days. I was to the point where the thought of suicide was becoming a, a, a wave in my life. You see, because when you hope less and less, you become hopeless. And I was to the place where I was hopeless. And I remember saying, God, if you're even there, which I don't believe you are, if anyone hears my voice, please give me a reason not to take my own life because I want out. To me, life was not fun. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't want it. I was like, really? This is it? Why would I stay? If you die and it's all over and you're just buried under the ground, to me that sounded like peace. And I had been fed that for a long time into my spirit that when you die, there's peace. It's a better place. So I remember with that thought rushing through my mind thinking if I could just take one pill right now, if I could just OD on cocaine tonight, I would just do it. And as I was saying that, I was walking around my apartment and I was just freaking out. At one point, I just closed my eyes and I was like, how am I going to do this? And I opened my eyes and I remember seeing a Bible. It's like, where the heck did that come from? Well, my brother had actually given it to me. And I was just, I was drawn to it. I said, okay, this Bible that I was more likely to do lines off of than read. Be honest with you. I picked it up. I opened it up and said, Joe, go to the book book of John. Love your brother David. Went to the book of John, started reading it. Two chapters, I was like, I still don't understand God. (laughs) I mean, I didn't understand anything. Jesus is the word, the word is God. I'm totally confused now. Until I got to John chapter 3. And it caught me right there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That I can understand. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Don't totally understand everlasting life. Understand perish because that's what I wanted to do. Then it said, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Really? I thought God was about judgment. I thought God was going to make a decision about me, and I had no chance. It said, no, he sent his son to the world to save the world. I need saving. Anybody? I mean, I was drowning. Throw me a life preserver. Then it said, but men love 
darkness instead of light. How many of you remember when you used to live like a vampire? Anybody? We only come out at night. Sun comes up, into bed, hide. Somebody might see me. That was my life. I slept during the day and I was out at night. It said men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. I knew evil. I put the E in evil. I put the E-V-I-N-L in there. Anybody else here? Know what I'm talking about? So there it said that, and I was like, that's me. But it said that a light had come. And I didn't have to be in darkness anymore. That light was the ray of hope that changed my life. See, hope came as Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Throw that scripture up there. Isaiah the prophet said something in Isaiah 9-2, and it was this, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were living or sitting in darkness have seen a great light. How many of you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now? How many of those of you remember when you lived in darkness, when you couldn't see? Now, it doesn't mean you were blind in your eyes. But it was almost like you were living blind because you didn't know why you were here. You didn't know you had a purpose in life. You didn't know there was something more than this. See, until you know there's an afterlife, it's very difficult to live this life. But the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in that region, there was a shadow of death. But a light had dawned. Isaiah, when he wrote this, he was speaking to a people who had suffered loss. The Assyrians had come from the north. This is the northern part of Israel where Jesus was born and his ministry started. So this was an area that had suffered the first defeat when the Assyrians came in. They took the brunt of it immediately. But those are the same people that the light first dawned on. And no matter how bad it gets for you, no matter how many times you have suffered loss, no matter the sickness, no matter the depression, no matter what it is, you can get that dawn. You can get that light first. He will come to you. He will come to you today. He has come to you today. Did you know that Jesus came for you right now, for you today? But the people in the darkness, they just saw a ray of hope. Do you know that a little bit of hope can go a long way? That little bit of hope gave me a reason to live. That little bit of hope gave me a reason to live. Because if you don't have a reason to live, you're hopeless. And if you're losing hope, you will eventually become hopeless. A light dawned. Matthew 12, 21 says this about Jesus. He is the hope of the whole world. I've been talking the last few weeks. Imagine if Jesus hadn't come where you'd be. There'd be no Christmas. There'd be no Easter. There'd be no feeling. You know, how many of you, when you get close to the holidays, you get a feeling, whether it's be positive or negative? I remember for the longest time it was a negative for me. 
Because I was like, what's everybody so happy for? I'm not happy. What's everybody so hopeful for? I'm not hopeful. But you know, he came because he's the hope of the world. I remember <laughs> I was 16 years old. I got arrested three times in two weeks. Three times in two weeks. The third time, I had gone home. I, didn't, I was out all night, 6 o'clock in the morning, knock, knock, knock on my front door. I looked out the window, and those of you from New York will know what I'm talking about. I saw the blue and whites out there. Man, why couldn't they wait till later? <laughs> Knocked on my door. No one else was up, so I had to answer it, hoping they were there for somebody else. What's the matter with me? I should have jumped out the window. Anyway, now they think about it. I wonder why the cops are here. I figured three times in two weeks, nah, come on, what are the odds of that? Hello, uh, we're looking for Joseph Adovai. Oh, uh, no, actually it was Joseph Colucci, but that's a whole other story. Read the book and figure it out. But um, I said yes, and they handcuffed me, and they took me down. Third time in two weeks, same precinct. Everybody was like, it was like cheers. Hey, Joe's here. Uh, <laughs> I'm serious. They all knew me. Hey, you want a donut, a coffee, hang out? It was really bad. I'm not saying anything bad about cops. You know what? I love police officers. I never, like, I never thought they were bad. I knew they were doing the right thing. And you know what? They, there was many of them that really had a positive impact on my life. They cared about me. You know, they saw I was just a punk kid getting into trouble. Anyway, um, so I went down there. Nobody bailed me out that day. So I went to Rikers Island. I went through a prison called the Tombs. I don't know if anybody knows what that is. That's a place you don't want to go. But Rikers Island is just as bad. You know, and to go to Rikers Island, I, I, as I remembered, it was a boat because it was an island, but I, I barely remember. Uh, I remember coming out of there much more than I remember going there. But nobody bailed me out, and uh, it was really like a sad thing, you know. It's just like it was only $250. If I had been in a church, the youth group could have bailed me out, for God's sakes. <laughs> it was like 250 bucks, man. Somebody get me out of here. <laughs> you know? There would have been 50 bucks left over. So I'm on Rikers Island. Nobody bails me out for a couple of days. Finally, somebody bails me out. I take the boat because nobody in my family ever had a car. We take the boat. We take the bus. We take the train. We take the boat. You know, because it's Staten Island. That's the only way you get there. So I went from one island to another island. It took me like eight hours to get home. I got home. I took a seven-hour shower. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you get out of Rikers Island, you want to take a shower. Nothing happened to me there, Okay. <laughs> So forget it. I didn't sleep there. I was just like, no, I'm not tired. I'm like, no, because you hear things. You know what I mean? You're like, you know, no showers. I don't even use bathrooms. <laughs> I'm serious. So I get out. I go home immediately, right? I go to hang out with my friends. It was on Manor Road. Staten Island. Some of you know there's a wall bombs parking lot there. And uh, there was a pizzeria that we hung out with. And in the back of it, there was a club downstairs. Remember those clubs that you used to go to? Not, not, not anybody in this church. But you used to go to clubs. And you walk down the steps. And there's that were the entrance to the club. So you can mingle down there. So we go down there to get high. This is five minutes. I'm not kidding. Since I left my house, God dressed. 
went to all my friends. They were like down there. I said, hey, guys, what's up? All of a sudden, I hear, I'm like, oh, my God, kill me now. Like seven or eight of my friends are taken down right back to that precinct. Those guys were just like, I can't believe this kid, man. They were just, they were loving it. The cops, they were just like, this is hilarious. What is the matter with this kid? So I'm back down there one by one, one by one. Some of you know one of the people that was with me. Her name is Joni. But anyway, her father was a a lieutenant of detectives. So somehow she was like removed immediately, probably eating, you know, a happy meal in the other room, you know, (laughs) getting yelled at by her father. But one by one, each one of my friends, their parents came, the father or the mom, posted the bond, took them, took them, took them. I'm sitting there, I'm like, nobody's coming for me. Nobody's coming for me. And I just, you know, talk about hopeless. And the police officer looked at me after it was like three or four left, and he goes like this, you're going back to Rikers, kid. And he felt bad. He He didn't want to say that to me. He really felt bad. He was hoping that somebody was going to come for me. And finally, my friend Biff, his father came, and Biff just looked at me like, I got to go. And, you know, he was getting in trouble. I wanted to get in trouble. I didn't want to go to Rikers. <laughs> I would have gladly faced a father or somebody that cared about me. You know, you think your kids, you know, you don't want to discipline your kids because you think maybe it'll hurt them, but I'm telling you, that's love. Even God, it says he chastens his children. So if you think withholding discipline to your kid... I grew up wanting somebody to discipline me. I wanted somebody to care about me. That's love. So Biff's father took him, my good friend Biff, and he died two years later from AIDS. But he didn't want to leave me. He was like, Joe, I'm sorry. And then he left. And then the police officer, who was really nice to me, was like, all right, come on, we got to go. Back on the chain gang. So he, you know, I'm just, my heart is just gone. I'm, I'm like, Nobody's coming to get me. We're getting ready to leave. All of a sudden, we hear this voice. (laughs) Said, wait a second. It was his father. He said, wait, he's with me. He's with me. And the police officer was so glad. He was like, here, take him. He's yours. So Biff's father came. And he stood for me. He took me. He saved me. I cried so hard that day. But you know what? That's the same thing that Jesus did for me. Nobody wanted me. Nobody wanted to bail me out. Nobody wanted to help me. He was there. At 2 in the morning when everyone else failed, when I failed, when my family failed, my friends failed, everything that I had hoped in had failed. Jesus was there for me. He loved me. He came for me. He is my Savior. I am pastoring. I am doing everything that I'm doing because of what he did for me. Everything else could go. But he did this for me. And here I am. I'm pastoring a church of crazy people. And, but I love these crazy people. (laughs) 
have a beautiful wife, six kids. What more could I ask for? I'm at a place where I never could have dreamed that I could be. I just wanted to die until somebody came and said, he's with me. He's with me. Jesus said, he's with me. And from the moment that little bit of hope came into my life, I started to live a real life. Because hope came, number two, we got to walk in hope. We have to walk in this hope. First Peter 1.3 says, praise, honor, bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. By his boundless mercy, we have been born again to an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to me. If you have less and less hope about anything, you will eventually become hopeless. But if you become more and more full of hope, you'll become hopeful. Because it's an ever-living hope. It's not a hope that dies. It's a hope that lives. Listen, whether you believe in Christ or not, the opportunity to be hopeless is there all the time. Amen? Listen to me. I'm not always living with hope, even though I live with eternal hope over here. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean... Sometimes I just want to pinch and see if it's real. Don't like, pinch me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, when I worked on Wall Street, I, I got this job at a place was, that was, how many of you work in a place where hope isn't exactly the first word that pops into mind when you walk in there? When, when I came back to Wall Street after a really tough time in my life, I got a job at a place, and the, the, the guy who ran our desk was an alcoholic. Okay, so he would come in angry. You know, angry alcoholics, amen? Not asking you if you're an angry alcoholic. You know, an angry alcoholic. So he was an angry alcoholic. Then we had the other guy working next to me. He was a recovered alcoholic who was angry. Because when you have a recovered alcoholic without Jesus, you got an angry ex-alcoholic. Okay? Take it from me. I understand this stuff. And then finally there was me and like, we weren't doing any business, and it became hopeless there. It just became hopeless. And then we hired a guy named George. Some of you know my, friends, my friend Georgie. Some of you remember him. But uh, he comes into the office, and he was just like me, a little crazy, a little rough around the edges, able to be hopeful or hopeless in a second. But for some reason, he started calling me Mr. Happy Bubbles. Georgie, I mean, this guy is such a character. If you ever go down to Key Largo, I guarantee I, I, you can see him and meet him. I'll let you. <laughs> but he would call me Mr. Happy Bubbles. And, and, and he just kept calling me that. And I said, you know what? I am probably the happiest one in this office. So I'm going to have hope. And we started to do business like crazy. Because a little bit of hope became an ever-living hope. Now, I wake up every day to Mrs. Happy Bubbles. <laughs> Any of you live with somebody named Mr. or Mrs. Happy Bubbles? Anybody? Anybody else? No? It's that bad. All right, we got a couple. Yadira, Lamont, amen. Why are they always so happy? I'll tell you why, because they're married to us. <laughs> you think that happiness, it comes with a price. Me, I'm paying the price. 
How many of you are, could be called Mr. or Mrs. Happy Bubbles? Come on, raise a little bit. Come on, anybody? Boy, we have a very depressed church here. <laughs> Tabby, uh, come on, Courtney, come on. There are, look, Pastor Courtney, that is bubblicious Happy Bubbles right there. <laughs> it's an ever-living hope. So let me tell you something. No matter what's going on, you can, it's, it's there. It, it, it never died. Don't, hope never died. It's always been there. It reminds me of my favorite passage of the Bible. It's from Luke chapter 7. And it's the story of a widow at Nain. Everybody that comes to the church all the time is probably like, here he goes again. I love, I get OCD about certain things. Anybody? <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> I got, you know, I love this story because it's so rich. But there's a woman, and it's such a short such a short passage of scripture. But there's a woman who's a widow. So her husband's gone, and now her son's dead. And they're coming out of the city because you would bury people outside the city because for the Jews, anything dead is unclean. So they're bringing the son. There's a funeral procession. It says a large crowd of mourners is going with this woman. She's taking her son's coffin, which is an open coffin, out to bury him. She's weeping. You know, some of the other people that were mourning back then, you paid for mourners, you know. If I'm paying for a mourner, they better be weeping. Like, I better see some weep. You want a tip? I better see some serious tears. Imagine that. You get a job. I mourn at funerals. That's what they did, though. That is great. We could start a, like, a service. For funeral mourners, <laughs> call me up. How many do you need? <laughs> Praise God. But they're coming out, and, and she's really mourning. You know why? Because she's lost her husband, she's lost her son, now she's lost everything. Hope has become less. It has become a hopeless situation. But just when it's at its worst, who comes along? Jesus and the boys. Say Jesus and the boys. Don't you just like to say that? Jesus and the fellas. Jesus and his crew. Jesus and his posse. Now, do you think maybe there's some hope there? You think maybe there's some hope coming in? They see blind people see. They see lame people walk. They see two loaves turn into 20,000. They know what Jesus can do. They got an ever-living hope. So right there, it's like, stop. It ain't over. It ain't over till Jesus says it's over. Whatever's going on, it ain't over yet. He stopped it. And he said, young man, get up. Don't bury your dream. Don't bury your hope. One word from Jesus and it's alive again. One word. Listen, I could have been buried. I could have been dead. A couple scriptures woke me up. And now I have a son and another son and four daughters. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't get saved. <laughs> uh, an awesome wife, a wonderful church, a great rehab. I had a great career on Wall Street. All this stuff from what? 
from a little bit of hope, from a hope that never died, from a hope that was raised from the dead by Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the reason for the season, the hope of the world. Woo! Yeah! Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of your hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound and be overflowing. Everybody say the next part. Bubbling over. Look at the person next to you. I hate to do all this. Look at the person next to yourself. But look at the person next to you and say, You're bubblicious. Don't be looking at somebody else's wife and saying that. <laughs> this husband turns to the person to the left. No, look at your wife. She's bubblicious. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Bubbling over with hope. If you're going to do anything during this time of year, bubble over with hope. Bubble over with hope. Bubble over with belief. Bubble over with something good is coming our way. Amen. To hope means to expect something good. What are you expecting? Calamity? There's people all over expecting the worst all the time. Why? Because you don't know Mr. Hope. His name is Jesus. He's the hope of the world. And he has given you a future and a hope. So, hope has come. Walk in that hope. Finally, carry that hope to others. Carry that hope to others. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God will to make known the riches of his glory. What does the word glory mean? Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. God said, I'll let my goodness pass before you. To them will to make known what are the riches of the goodness of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of goodness, the hope of glory, the hope of eternal life. Why is it important for us to understand that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that will spend eternity in heaven. It's that hope that fills you that allows you to live the life now. You don't need it for the after this. You'll be in glory. You need it now. That is the anchor of your soul, that hope that lives inside of you, the hope of God's goodness in your life. Expecting something good. We're so programmed by the enemy to expect the worse. How about expect the good? You know, I wrote this book, and I'm like, I'm like, well, depressed. <laughs> I am. I'm so Alicia. She's like, what's the matter with you? Like, people want to read your book. I'm like, I don't know. I just, uh, I just feel weird, you know. Because, so, you know, you write this book, and it, it's about your life, and you're dragging up all this stuff. and It's so funny. It's just, I don't know, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. My sister in Long Island, my youngest sister, she bought the book, downloaded it, I guess, on her Kindle or something. She read it. And she was like, she sends me this text on Facebook. She goes, I didn't know it was so bad for you. <laughs> Thanks to Long Island, right? She goes, I didn't know it was 
so bad for you. But, you know, she was younger than me, so she, you know, and this is the best. Then she goes, but it comes out okay, right? <laughs> I hope so, yeah, I guess. I'm not kidding. I was going to show that to you just to let it's that true. Yes, it does come out okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right, sis. She goes, I'm up to the point where Alicia was pregnant. I go, how would I know what point that is? She was pregnant our whole marriage. What do you mean? I'm to that point where Alicia was pregnant. Whoop-dee-doo. What does that tell me? I mean, how many of you know that she was always pregnant? <laughs> oh, Lord. But we are to carry this hope. We're to carry this hope. We're to be carriers of this contagious power of hope to everyone around us. Let me ask you a question. Are you offering hope to people? Are you bringing hope to people? If you don't do it, who's going to do it? In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John... After the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, fullness of hope, they're on their way to church. It says at the hour of prayer, and what happens? They meet a guy who's been lame from birth at the, temp at the gate of the temple, right? How many of you were ever on your way to church and you saw somebody on the street or you met somebody and you stopped? They stopped. I remember this guy who used to be on Route 130 and uh, he used to have a sign saying, I'll work, I'll, I'll work for food or whatever. I found out like 10 people on their way to our church over the, over the months had stopped and talked to him. And I was like, there's some people that care more about church. They care more about people. Amen? Amen. I mean, if you go, Pastor, I was late for church, but it's because I stopped on the road to help somebody. I'll give you a pass. I'll give you one pass. That's one pass. <laughs> that's that's what <laughs> She met somebody in Marshalls on the way to church. Am I in trouble? I'm okay? But, um, you know, so they're on the way. They walk into the, the lame man's there, and, and he's there looking for money because that's what he does. His hope is in money. Hopes maybe he'll get a little more today, but he'll be lame tomorrow. He'll be hopeless again. Because what he's looking for will not fill the void that he has. So Peter and John stop, and they tell him, look, he, they tell him, look at us. Focus on us for a second, because we got something. You have something that the world really needs, and it's not money. First of all, they said, silver and gold have we none. And it wasn't because they didn't have silver and gold, people. In the New Testament church, the apostles were like the rich ones because it says that everybody sold their land and everything and laid it at the apostles' feet. If everybody sold their house here and laid it at Pastor Courtney's feet, well, <laughs> don't give him your mortgages. Just let sell the houses. You think he, it wasn't that. What they were saying is what we have is more important than silver or gold. Because you cannot put your faith in silver and gold. You cannot put your hope in silver and gold. It says, silver and gold have we none, but what we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. 
not only did he get up, he didn't get up like, you know, oh, thanks for helping me. He got up and he walked and he leaped and he praised. Because a little bit of hope can spring you forward into your destiny. A little bit of hope can raise you up, not to be a cripple, not to need crutches, but to run, to jump, to praise. And here is the key to that whole passage of Scripture. It says that he walked and he leapt and he praised the Lord. And then it says he held on to Peter and John as they went to Solomon's porch. They held on. Hold on to hope. Hold on. And if you bring hope to someone else, do you know if you bring them the hope of Jesus, they'll come to church with you? Do you know if you bring them hope, they'll hold on to you? The world is looking for hope, people. They're looking for a reason to believe. They're looking for someone to say, listen, I know this is your situation, but with God, all things are possible. Your marriage can be healed. Your body can be healed. Your mind can be healed. Your spirit can be healed. There's hope in Jesus. There's hope that something good could come your way today. Something good could come your way today. Happened for me at 2 in the morning when I least expected it. When I was at my lowest of lows, hope came. And then hope walked with me. And now I'm releasing hope to everybody around me. I wrote this book to give people hope. I didn't do it to make money. I didn't do it to be famous. I did it to give people hope because I know what a little bit of hope can do for anyone. Sometimes it's all you need. It's a little bit. Just a ray. Just a drop of sunshine. Just a tiny bit. Romans 5.1 says this, and this is the end. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope. Let me tell you something, people. It starts with you. Rejoy yourself with hope. It never died. It's there. It lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's in you. So how do you ignite it? You rejoice in it. I'm going to heaven. I put my faith in Jesus. He's got my back. He's in front of me. He's on the sides of me. He's in back of me. He's surrounded me with his favor. He has a great plan for my life. And as I walk it, he'll make a way. And he will make a way. He will do it. That's who he is. That's what he does. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Going through trials develops character, and it develops hope. We need to hope. God wants us to hope, but he wants us to hope in him. Why? Because that hope does not disappoint Everybody say, God's hope, God's hope does not disappoint. It'll never let you down. That's God. 
Because his love has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How do we know? Because he loves us. And he'll never disappoint us if we hope in him. Don't hope in silver or gold. Don't even hope in people. Don't hope in things. Don't hope in careers. Don't hope in relationships. Hope in And you'll never be disappointed. Take it from me. Because I got a reason to live again. Because I've been born again to a new life. And you can be born again right now to a new life if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus right now. So if you would close your eyes and bow your heads with me right now. I want to make sure the only important thing that could happen to, to you today is that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because that brings the, the light. A light will dawn in your life. A light of hope. A light of heaven. A light of healing. A light of blessing. That's God's plan for you. Everything else is a lie from the enemy. Are you walking into the city with Jesus or are you walking out to bury something? Are you telling the crippled that to stay crippled or are you telling them to rise in the name of Jesus? What overflows, what's bubbling over in your life? Is it hope or is it hurt? I'm here to tell you that hope beats hurt. And the more you hope, you can become hopeful. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. His blood covers our sins. He took a punishment we deserved. He died so we could have hope. And all you have to do is put your faith in what he did. And you'll live with that ever-living hope. In other words, that hope will be inside of you. And it'll never die. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to pray with me now. My son always, always reminds me, says this, to ask this question. If you die tonight, are you 100% sure that you'd spend eternity in heaven? If not, say this prayer, believe it, and trust Jesus. So if you would say this prayer with me, every eye is closed, head bowed, just in respect to God or whoever's around you, just say this prayer with me. Say, Father, Father I know that Jesus is your son. I know that Jesus is your son. I know he's the hope of the world. He came and died on the cross for our sins. Father, we've made mistakes, but we receive your forgiveness. The same way you raised Jesus from the dead, raise us to a new life of hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody's eyes closed, head bowed. If you said that prayer for the first time, you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand right now. If you said that prayer for the first time, you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand right now. Hallelujah. Is there anybody else that wants to raise their hand? Now's your time. God is the God of second chances. Okay, if you raise your hand, if you would stand up right now so we can pray for you, please don't be shy. Stand up right now. So we can pray for you. It's okay. It's all right. Don't worry. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you right now. Before we close out today, you know, we usually have an altar call up front here, but we're going to do something a little different. 
That's what the Holy Spirit told me to do. I want you to be honest with yourself, honest with God. If there's a situation in your life right now where it seems that hope is becoming less and less, I want you to stand up right now so we can pray for you. Just, just stand up where you are. Just stand up right now. Go ahead. Every one of you that is in that place where you feel like hope is becoming less and less. There's a few more people. Come on, stand up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't even think about it. Just stand up. We're going to pray for you because you know what? We're with you. We are with you. We are with you. All right. Everybody else, look around for a second. Is there somebody near you that has stood? Okay, I want you to gather around them right now to pray for them right now. I want you to gather around them to pray for them. Hallelujah. For those that are standing, I want you to make sure you go right over here in the middle of this aisle. Make sure someone comes up and prays. Don't let anybody be standing somewhere that they're not being prayed for. And listen, you don't have to do anything here. There's no pressure to do anything. But yes, we are going to pray for those. Listen, let's release our hope into their heart right now. If you want to pray out loud, that's fine. You go right ahead. This is for our brothers and sisters. We're not playing church. We're going to be the church. We're not going to wait for everybody else to bring hope to the world. We're going to bring hope starting here first and then out of this building. Just start to pray for those people. Encourage them. Release hope into their life right now. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, Let us bubble over with hope right now. And as we bubble over, let the bubbles fill any empty heart, any empty soul, any empty spirit right now. In the name of Jesus, we release a fresh flow, a tidal wave of hope right now to Grace Church, to North Brunswick, to Middlesex County, to New Jersey, to the United States to the world. You are the hope of the world, Lord. And we release that hope right now in the name of Jesus. We release hope right now in the name of Jesus. To the hopeless, Father, pour out your love in their hearts. Fill them with the hope that is released from your son, Jesus. The hope of glory, the hope of goodness, the hope that something good is on the way today. We declare it right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.